0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of I Like to Read with me, your host, Rachel Polanski. For the longtime visual viewers, wow, I said that right. 10 pads on the back. You will notice that I may be in a slightly different location. We're playing around with things. I'm currently in my living room. Um, We're playing around with the lighting. We are playing around with the upload date. We are playing around with the coloring in some instances. We're pretending it's for spooky season and not because the iPhone just weirdly had a glare. Yeah, it's for spooky season. What are your favorite... Spooky season things. Are you a big Halloween decorator? Do you like to read spooky books or watch spooky movies? Also, it's a lot harder to sit up straight when you're not like... When you don't even... When you don't have a chair back and I don't even sit up straight when I have the chair back. So let's try our best for the next like 18 minutes to do so. Um, You know, I'm in Los Angeles, so it doesn't exactly feel like fall. It doesn't exactly feel like spooky season right now, though it is actually pretty gray out and seems like it we are entering the grayest time of the year, time of the season. Um, so at least it's a little more sort of like fall and spooky and cool. Well, i'm putting quotes around this because it's like i've adjusted to now if it's like under 70 degrees i'm like oh my god it's cold um but it is sometimes so that's that uh what else have i been up to i saw the movie titan in theaters last weekend it is a french film by the director julie du i believe i'm pronouncing that correctly, maybe, um, and she, we actually were fortunate enough to see a Q&A with her after um, and be only three rows from her, so very up close and personal, and I think that that really helped enrich the film. I loved her first feature-length film, which was called Raw, and I think it was famous for sort of, you know, being like a groundbreaking horror, and people were like passing out in the audience, and while it was definitely graphic, and you know they're warning there is cannibalism there is human mutilation it was very like beautiful and i think the director julie or julia fuck did i say did i mess it up already i should have had this up right julie titan director Ah, uh, yeah julia du corn du Forgive me. Um, and Titan is her second feature. You don't need to have seen Ra to have seen this, but I think it really helps cement who she is in auteur as, in a, dire- as a director. The way that she plays with the male and the female gaze, the way that she plays with the, the body and the real, like, visceral horror of the body and the human form and being trapped in this meat sack. I don't want to give too much away, because it's definitely, while there's not a ton of dialogue, there is a decent amount of plot that moves forward. Again, it's French, it's weird, it's horrific, And the sense that, yeah, there's murder, there's death, but it's really about this relationship between a young woman named... <sighs> already forgetting her name. Um, A young woman who's played by Agathe Russo, who's also a first-time actor, and you would never believe it. I guess it just is tantamount to also the direction that she was under. She is freaking fantastic and, you know, really holds the film, no pun intended, like, under her body. She is literally holding it up. Um, And so it's about a young woman who, for circumstances that I won't give away, has to leave her family, Um, but she's also pregnant, and she is pregnant from a car. And I know that sounds, like, freaking weird, but the way that (laughs) that it's shown in the film and the relationship to body and machine is very beautifully um, developed and looked at with nuance rather than just, oh man, it's a girl having sex with a car. I mean, it won the Palme d'Or at Cannes this year. Do I think it's going to be the best movie of 2020 slash 2020? No, 2021 slash 2022. Time will tell, but I think it's really different. I think it's something unique. I think it's, again, establishing a unique i said that a lot of times but establishing a really strong solid female voice in horror which we don't have enough of so i think it is also more than just horror it's really art cinema i mean i definitely wouldn't recommend it for everybody you know if you're a horror fan you know and but you're only really into sort of like b movies it definitely has a lot more of that like dario argento like weird uncanny vibe to it like don't look now that kind of thing but even weirder to, like david cronenberg like next level So that's what I enjoyed. I'm seeing the new James Bond tomorrow at the time of recording. This will be art. I will have already seen it. So maybe I'll give my thoughts on the next episode. This will be my first Bond in theaters because as of, you know, six months ago, maybe around then, more or less, um, Boy, Jason Boy, boyfriend slash Jason, same person, showed me the first, not the first Bond movie, but we watched our first Bond film, which I think was Goldfinger. Um, and then we watched most of the Sean Connery ones. We watched a Roger Moore one. We watched some of the Pierce Brosnan ones. We watched most of the Daniel Craig ones. And now I'm finally ready and caught up as well as I need to be. To see, uh, not Skyfall, what is it called? Uh, No Time to Die tomorrow, the long-awaited, almost three-hour epic saga. So we'll see how that goes. But you're not here for I Like to Watch. Maybe you are. Who knows? You are here to see what I like to read and what I've read this week. So our first book is called Dare to Know by James Kennedy. And while I don't often like to pull from Goodreads for my reviews and musings and thoughts because it's kind of just cheating, I do think the first thing that they have written for their description really is frames this book perfectly when it says dark matter meets annihilation in this mind bending and emotional speculative thriller in a world where the exact moment of your death can be predicted for a price. That's a really crazy tagline. It's, as the title states, it has this sci-fi dystopian elements to it, but it's also very grounded in the idea that what if you could literally predict your death and knew the moment you were going to die? It's based on our main character um, who has developed this software, or helped develop it, and helped been at the company since its origin because this is a futuristic society where, yes, for a price, you can predict the exact date of your death. And would knowing that knowledge... Would having that knowledge help or hinder your life? You know, that's a really good question and it presents all kinds of issues and so we're presented with a present-day plot where our main character um, has seemingly evaded his own death in a happenstance circumstance. Um, So he is looking at that sort of as cheating the system and through his cheating the system and seeing where he got there, we've seen the path that led him down this road and led down the effects of this on society, um, particularly the young woman who he was involved with at the time that he started in this company. Um, He has still, you know, while they're not together during the present day, he feels that his cheating death has Become some sort of destiny that needs to lead him back to her, and she's the missing piece. So there's that, um, there's that you know love story, but also not even love so much as that like connection. Um, the author does a really great job of. Um, capturing that connection with someone who while in the present day you may no longer be close with, you still have a lot of shared history and intimate moments that you can't create with anyone else and they hold a piece of yourself that nobody else can have, really not even you because they hold the the memories of you from that time from their view versus your view. So they hold something really special and even if you're not together, whether that was a romantic or platonic experience, I'm sure you all have experienced that at least once in your life. So yes, there's that sci-fi element to it, but there's also... A lot of deeply um, deeply moving emotional connections and questions that I did not necessarily expect. I think it has a good mix. I think sometimes it's really hard to balance those. I think a lot of books try to do both, but they either fall too heavily into the sci-fi, fall too heavily into the relationship and struggle to find that really perfect balance. Well, by no means this book is perfect because... I hate to, you know, it's very hard to find a five actual five star book. I have I rarely rate books five stars on Goodreads. And even when I do, I'm like, is that my absolute favorite book? I don't know. But it's a really good one and it's unique and it reads fast. And for those who like sci fi dystopian adventure thrillers with more relationship heart to them, check this one out. And next we have The Nine Lives of Rose Napolitano by Donna Fritis. So speaking of sci-fi and thrillers, this takes the convention of a sci-fi novel and kind of flips it on its head, definitely focuses more on the relationship, but it asks the question, it's you know, kind of like sliding doors, is what if one moment changed everything and different branches show different lives? So we meet our main character, Rose, when she is confronted by her partner Luke, and he wants her to take prenatal vitamins. And she is, she's uh, known her whole life that she doesn't want to be a mother. And she's made that very clear, but he is challenging that notion. So through that sort of, um, catalyzing incident, there's nine different lives that Rose can live. Some of those lives involve children, some don't. Some involve her staying with her husband and giving in to him. Some involve death, some involve life, some involve new relationships. What I think is really cool about this novel is not only does it show us, okay, but here's what could have happened. And here's what could have happened is it interweaves those lives and shows how some lives are similar based on similar choices. But then also, you know, it's sort of like a choose your own adventure where you, this path, this path, this path. Oh, but then one path is going to lead to live seven. One path is going to lead, lead to live nine. And it shows, you know, the different ways that also that one can not only live a life, but also different ways that one can be a mother, particularly um, each of the different lives allows Rose not only to explore her relationship with motherhood, but also her relationship with her own mother, her relationship to other children that she meets in the novel. It's a, it's a really cool idea because it's not really like time traveling and it's not really like the rose and the other alternatives is aware of it it's not like it's a wonderful life where she's above looking down on it it's really just sort of like what life is she meant to have can she be happy in all these other lives what is important to her what relationships should we keep what should we not lots of existential questions Um, and rose herself is just a very witty grounded realistic character so i really enjoy this one Next, we have White Smoke by Tiffany D. Jackson. This is a young adult psychological thriller that, first of all, I just have to say I love the cannabis representation in this because I don't talk about it a ton, but I do love to smoke weed and I do, I don't want to get too much into it, but I am hardly ever drink, and I do think that there is and continues to be a big stigma against marijuana, and this book really plays with the idea, especially for young people, of how we use marijuana um, to help ourselves or to hinder ourselves, how it can have larger impacts for different people depending on your circumstances, and also how it can be just as important a substance as alcohol, because Lord knows there's so many young adult novels and novels in general about alcoholism and the impacts of alcohol and someone just grabbing a glass of wine or whatever, and there's a lot of books about marijuana, but for someone to have it as sort of uh, not a big plot point, but a part of their lives and also sort of explore what it means to them in a deeper sense more than just she likes to smoke because our main character Marigold has gone through a traumatic experience, um, particularly related to bed bugs, which... I really there was some haunting moments because I personally dealt with bed bugs a couple of years ago, and it was certainly traumatic. While I don't quite have the same PTSD as Marigold does, I can definitely relate to some of her uh, her things. There's so her and her family are moving to this random suburb in the Midwest um, in a situation that seems almost too good to be true. They've been given this free house in exchange for her mother to have a residency on Maple Street. You may recognize the title as an intentional reference to the famous twilight zone episode the monsters on maple street which i probably butchered that title but we read the script maybe the story in eighth grade and since then it's always stuck with me again it's like how the real monsters are the humans and we have these imagined perceived scapegoats in the sense of this maple street fictional town there's a lot of questions about larger racial implications about larger um redlining and stratospheric sort of you know putting people in certain areas and then building them up in certain ways and giving them certain resources like the larger community impact. Um, There's also a lot of exploration also of sibling bonds, which I found really nice. I found even though this was a young adult novel, it does deal with some serious themes in the sense of trauma and addiction and dependency and gentrification and lots of themes while also keeping a sort of spooky, you know, is there a ghost and is there a demon paranormal activity vibe to it? So a lot going on. But again, it all works Maybe the theme of this episode is books that play with different types of genres and really work well together. Because while I always like the books I talk about on this episode, I think a lot of the ones in this do a more than fantastic job. So especially for spooky season, you got to check out White Smoke, Cannabis, Lover or Not. Next, we have Beautiful World, Where Are You? By an author you may know named Sally Rooney. I have read Sally Rooney's other books. Do I think she is like the best author ever? No, but do I think her books are rather enjoyable and something Familiar, but also slightly different in the sense of how like no nonsense and plain they are. If you've read Sally Rooney and you're familiar with her work, or if not, she is a young Irish woman who maybe is my age, or maybe a year older or two. Definitely still in her 20s and writing these international bestsellers. And she likes to just pick apart the lives of young people in Dublin. And now these young people are typically white. they are typically upper middle class or working class, but definitely not poor. Um, They typically are able-bodied and straight and don't have many actual external issues, but internally, oh boy, are they a mess. And so I think going in without self-awareness, like recognizing that, yes, these are privileged white people, we're going in with that. Their problems are, you know, will does this boy like me or not? Um, in the case of our main characters, one of them is getting over a breakup and flirting with her best friend's ex, ex. And then the other one is, you know, she's a famous author, but she's afraid to go outside. And so while they, they might sound insufferable, I think they're really good. And Sally Rooney is good at using them as vessels to translate the sense that, like, Just because everything looks great on the outside doesn't mean that everything is all right inside. And recognizing that privilege while reconciling with these problems, there is like a matter of factness that doesn't, you know, that lends to a sense of not glorifying it, but really keeping it grounded. Um, This one, there's not a ton of darkness, I would say. There's no real like death and murder, but there is a sort of darkness in the sense of like, yeah, you can have everything on paper, but what if it's not enough? And how do we fill this malaise? And then also um, the female friendship and the dynamic, again, going back to what I mentioned earlier about someone who you may not be as close, close with in present day, even if that's a platonic relationship, but still trying to keep it up because they hold that piece of you from the past that's so important. So that idea is played with a lot here. So if you've read her other works, if you haven't, this is definitely um, a lighter read, a breezier read, and you know something to take your mind off of things and take a little trip to the UK. And last, but certainly certainly not least... We're ending another episode of Spooky Season with another horror thriller novel, The Last House on Needless Street by Katrina Ward. I love this one because it definitely played with my expectations. I thought I knew where things were going, and while I was right some of the time, other times I was not right. So our story plays with different timelines. We meet our main character, Ted, who, for all intents and purposes, seems like he has not only been through a trauma as a child, but is a slovenly, weird adult and has got some stuff going on. And it seems like he has also kidnapped a young girl um, who we find out has gone missing 10 years earlier and has kept her captive. But all is not what it seems. That's all I want to say about that. I will say that it played with the idea of psychological horror and particularly like psychological um, disorders in a really unique and interesting way. There's also the perspective of a cat, which I found really fun, because it wasn't just like meow meow, I'm a cat. It was like she was another character, but as a cat and the way that her the way that she plays a part in the story was also totally unexpected, did not see coming. I think it adds heart and understanding and twists that are not just there for twists, but again, a really cool blending of that horror thriller keeps you on your toes, what is going on while also having purpose and understanding for these characters as Goodreads said because we started with Goodreads we'll end it with Goodreads in the dark forest at the end of Needless Street lies something buried but it's not what you think find out and let me know all right that is the end of another episode as always let me know what you're reading watching listening to eating whatever let me know what you're doing um until next follow me on all the sites Goodreads leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts I'll love you forever and until next time stay reading bye